I am so unbelievably proud of all of y'all. The, the uh, no, seriously, as much work as you've done, and you may not have always, you know, I understand you cram a little bit here, cram a little bit there, but that's just life sometimes. We can't be perfect disciples all the time. But um, I think you guys are just amazing. I'm so proud of you. I talk about you to everybody who will listen to me go on and on. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm certain that the Lord Jesus is so pumped with this class and just loves what y'all are doing. I hope this isn't just for a class. I hope it's for the rest of your life. Bless you. Let's stand. Let's say the Shema together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Ve'chol Levavecha, Uvechol Nefshecha, Uvechol Meodecha, Ve'ahavta Ladreacha Kamocha. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. These are the very words of God. Please be seated for my words. We just discussed day before yesterday the man with the withered hand. That's out of Mark chapter 3. Today I want to start by talking about something that really plagues, for some reason, a lot of eighth graders. After that, I think there's some students that wonder if they have or ever will commit the unforgivable sin. It's kind of interesting because I get to stand before these eighth graders and I'll have them write down some of the questions or some of the doubts or some of the fears that they have. And you wouldn't be surprised at how many eighth graders are scared that they've committed the unforgivable sin and they're going to hell no matter what. And I'm like, oh, sweet baby. Like, bless your heart. It could have been. Yes. Do you actually believe that there's an unforgivable sin? Well, what you're asking me is, do I believe the Bible's true? Yes. I absolutely do. No, no, not at all. Um, his, his death covers all, all wrongdoing, all sin. However, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it's, you're, you're talking about, it's not that it couldn't cover it. It's that it's the one thing that you don't want it to cover. It could cover it, but if you commit the unforgivable sin, you're actually rejecting Jesus' blood and saying, I don't want it. That's why it doesn't cover it. Not because it doesn't have the power. It's not allowed to. It's not allowed to. And as we look at what the unforgivable sin is, I think you guys will start to see, okay, that makes sense. It's not that it couldn't. It doesn't have enough power to. It's that it's not allowed to. Just like God's a gentleman. And if you say, get out of my life. I don't want anything to do with you. He's not going to force himself on you. He's a gentleman. He will quietly bow out and say, okay, that's fine. I'll leave you alone. Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. He doesn't break it down. I'm Jesus. I'm here to ruin your life. He doesn't. <laughs> if you think he ruins your life, he lets those people say, no, get out of my life. And Jesus says, okay, 
I'll, st I'll be right here waiting if you ever want to talk. And they <laughs> slam the door right in his face. And he says, okay, that's God. So we moderns ask, what does it mean to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Well, the middle of Mark chapter three, we're going to get that story where Jesus talks about the unforgivable sin. All right. He kind of takes a small deviation from what's been going on. Man with a withered hand, great crowd follows Jesus. 12 disciples get chosen. And then all of a sudden, boop, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Then we're back on to Jesus' mothers and brothers, parable of the sower. Okay. So I have the honor of standing before a lot of students each day. And I also have a very daunting task because I do believe the Bible, every single word of it is absolutely true. And here's the problem with believing that it's true. The book of James says those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So I'm going to be held to a higher standard than the average bear. And that frankly scares me to death. I, I still love to teach the Bible and I pray often if I've said something that is untrue or not reflective of who you are, please accept my humble apologies and teach me a better way. So I hope my heart is, is pure with, with God. Um, so yeah, I take my job very seriously, but to my great surprise, there's a lot of younger people that wonder if they've committed the eternal sin, if they've somehow blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, because we don't really get taught what that is. It's just, yeah, don't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, when we put the third chapter of Mark together with the second chapter of Mark, remember the, the paralytic that's lowered through the roof in a bag? Um, when we put the second chapter with the third chapter, we really get this amazing idea of who Jesus is and who he's turning out to be for us. So just to, to summarize, when Jesus turns to the paralytic and says to him, son, your sins are forgiven, Jesus has claimed to have the backing of heaven. That's God. The divinely ordained authority to forgive sins, transgressions, committed not against himself, but against God. He proves that his claim is true by citing the only proof that is irrefutable. What's the first and best proof that you can provide to somebody if you say, you know what, I'm right and God agrees with me. And they say, no, I'm right and God agrees with me. And I say, oh yeah, watch this. What's, what's my proof? It's my miracle. If I can conjure a miracle, actually the Lord produces a miracle through me. That's it. Done. Game over. I win. God sides with me. Okay. So that's what Jesus has to do. God chooses to heal the paralyzed man through Jesus, eliminating all doubt. Wow, that Jesus guy really does have authority from God to forgive sins. That's crazy. What in the world? Do you know what the implications are? Yeah, the temple's now mobile and Jesus is a new kind of priest. What the, uh, okay, that's, no, I'm not comfortable with that. So Jesus reorients the misguided interpretations of Shabbat, Sabbath, by keeping, uh, well, he keeps citing 
previous cases, we call them precedents, right? He cites that David case with the, with the bread of the presence. Well, that high priest cites the case of Moses and the people of Israel, which is ultimately authorized and cited by God himself. So this is where we are. In other words, when Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven you, and that miracle happens and the guy grows new limbs or shriveled limbs turn into strong legs and he stands up and walks out of the house and everybody's jaw is just wide open in their lap. If you keep reading in Mark chapter three, go to verse 22. They don't know what to do with this. So you know what they do? They do what anybody does. They call the big guns in. So they call Jerusalem and say, send us your finest because we got a guy here that is creating all kinds of havoc and we don't know what to do with him. It appears like God is really doing this stuff, but there's just no way. So you see guys, their idea of God was too small and what God was actually doing couldn't fit in their heads. And that's a lot like you and me. We have this idea of who God is and it just blows that open. And, and we're uncomfortable with that. It's like, geez, uh, what do I do? So these guys, if we start reading verse 22 and the scribes, remember these guys are worthy of our oh, awesome. The scribes, those are expert Torah teachers who came down from Mark chapter three, verse 22. Where'd they come down from? You always come down from Jerusalem because spiritually speaking, it's the highest place on earth. So you always come down from Jerusalem and you always go up to Jerusalem. If I am on the moon, which is far above the earth, and I go to Jerusalem from the moon, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. But you're on the moon, you're already up. No, you go up to Jerusalem because it's a spiritual up, okay? So these guys came down from Jerusalem and they were saying he's possessed by Baal Zevul. Who's Baal? He's the Superman of pagan gods. He's the God over all the pagan gods. He's the Apollos. He's the Zeus of the Babylonians. Baal. Baal means master. Zavul means dwelling. Baal Zavul. What does it mean? The dwelling, the, the dwelling of the highest God, right? The dwelling of the master God. His, this guy is casting out demons. No, excuse me. He's possessed. First of all, they're telling all the folks Jesus is possessed by Baal. And by the prince of demons, that's how he casts out demons. And he called them to him. Jesus did. Hey guys, come here. Come here. I want to talk to you. He called them to him and he said to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom's divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand, can it? And if a house is divided against itself, that house won't be able to stand, will it? I mean, if Satan has risen up against himself and, the, and he's divided, he can't stand, can he? Isn't he coming to an end? All those are questions, I believe. 
but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now let's unpack this story because it is awesome, okay? They say, these Torah teachers, these guys that know better, they say, this guy's possessed by an evil spirit and by the prince of demons, that's how he's casting out demons. In other words, we're not gonna allow God to be manhandled and manipulated by some smart aleck 30-year-old shaman who thinks he's God's gift to the world. Are you kidding me? Shut that guy up. So they explain the otherwise indisputable events of recent history by attributing the clear and undeniable acts of God to Satan. It's the only play they can make, so they make it without hesitation. But notice their argument. Why don't they say that Jesus' miracles were all magic? Oh, those weren't miracles. That was magic. They don't say his miracles were sleight of hand. Okay? They don't say that the people maybe just thought they saw something. Maybe just kind of, well, that wasn't a UFO. That's a weather balloon weather balloon. I guess it could be a what? You know what I mean? They didn't say the people just thought they saw something. They don't say that the people heard wrong. They don't cite legal Torah cases against his teaching. Why aren't they refuting his teaching? They don't refute his interpretations with valid, well-built arguments. Not one of his teachings do they try to refute. They don't attack Jesus' character. Yeah, but that guy, uh, he's, a, he's dirty. And he smells bad. And his mom wears combat boots. And his teeth are crooked. And his breath stinks. They don't slander his character hmm, or his reputation. They go right to the heart of the matter. And they attack the source of Jesus' miracles. This is how I know that Jesus didn't do miracles. Because they would have attacked Jesus and said, hey, your miracles are bad miracles or you just uh, do the wrong miracles. Or The reason they have to attack Jesus' source and say, he's only be able to do this supernatural stuff. Oh, it's supernatural, all right. But he's possessed by Satan. And it's with Satan's power that he's able to do it. You see, that they're admitting that miracles only come by something or someone else. So instead of attacking Jesus' character, reputation, teachings, whatever, they attack his source. It's the only thing they can. Because what they just saw was a guy that was lowered through a roof in a bag that was paralyzed. His legs were so atrophied, all he had was skin and bones on them. If you've ever seen somebody that couldn't use a limb, it atrophies. It becomes tiny. There's no more muscle. It just dies off. 
So they watch this guy's anorexic legs miraculously grow strong and he stood up. Where'd he get the balance? How did he know how to walk? Do you know, do you realize how long it took you to walk? This guy gets up and walks. There's nothing mind blowing, not mind blowing about it. And they know only God does that. See, they know it, but they don't like it. I don't like that God, it looks like God gave this guy power and authority. I don't like that. Some people might be able to identify with not liking stuff God does when Jeffrey Dahmer, he was a mass murderer and he ate his victims. He was a cannibal. He kept much of his victims in refrigeration and he would eat them. And people thought he not only deserves to die, but he deserves to burn in hell. Well, the story is he came to know the Lord in prison before he died. And he, he is going to receive a full pardon and a divine pardon. God says, is going to say, because Jesus' blood is strong enough, I forgive you for what you've done. And Christians don't like that. We want justice as long as it's justice for someone else. I don't want justice for me because God will give me his justice and I, I will pay the price for that. I don't want that. They attack the source of the miracles because everybody knows that Jesus is not the source. That's why. If Jesus is not the source of the miracles, but God is, then that can mean only one thing. Everything that Jesus has said, everything that Jesus has done must be absolutely true. And they simply cannot and will not believe that God would do such things. That is not who God is. God does not give men the authority to forgive sins. God does not do this. See, they know who God is in their minds, in their hearts. They think they know God and God's about to blow their understanding open. And you know what? They just don't like it. Even if God himself were to come down, clear his throat and tell them to their faces, they wouldn't believe. So they do the only thing they can do and that's they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They teach people that Jesus does the things he does, not by the power of God, but by the power of Satan. So tell me, are you in danger of committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. Unless you were to witness an unquestionable miracle of God, and though you know that only God could have done it, you defiantly teach that it was not God even though you know it was, that was not God, it was Satan. Do you realize how probably a handful of people in the entire history of humanity have ever blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? Saw a miracle, only God could do that. Satan can't even do anything like that because remember who controls the weather? Does Satan control the weather? God stops some weather event. Boom, walls of water, <laughs> dry ground. Satan couldn't even come close to that. And you say, I don't like it. That's, that's Satan that's doing that. You know it's God and you teach people it's Satan. So in order to blaspheme, you have to teach people that it's... I think you do. I think you have you to declare it. Blaspheme. Yeah. I think you can wonder, mm -hmm. is that God? 
Did Satan do that? I don't know. Maybe that is satanic. I, I think you can wonder and God's like, no big deal. But when you go, I know that was God. Not a doubt in my mind. But I hate it so much that he forgave that prostitute. She needs to die. And I, Jonah, Nineveh, he wants the people to burn to death. He wants a nuclear bomb to hit them all and glass them. He hates the Ninevites worse than you could hate any racist group that you, you know, did terrible things to your sister and your mother. Jonah is there with the Ninevites. And God says, but I want to forgive them. And Jonah says, may they burn in hell for eternity. And then Jonah says, God does some, he does some miracle. And Jonah says, that wasn't God, that was Satan, by the way, everybody. You know, it's like Jonah... No, no, Jonah doesn't commit the unforgivable sin, but he's the kind of person, has the kind of anger that you could see where, you know what, I hate God so much for what he did that I'm going to tell people otherwise. You know, I mean, you got to have a, that's why I say I think it's a rejection of Jesus' blood. It's, I don't even want your blood. I don't need it. I don't want it. That's the reason that Jesus' blood doesn't cover that sin is because the sinner in all other sins, we say, oh, please, God, have mercy on me. I'm sorry I didn't mean to do that. In that sin, you are so hard and so against God that you can take your blood and you can shove it. It's literally what you're saying. It's like, wow. No, there's no forgiveness. We come to the 27th verse of chapter 3, and I think you guys are going to love this. I do. Jesus has just been accused of something so vile that it's like, Three people in the history of humanity have ever done it. And Jesus says, come here, come here, come here, come here. Let's talk. And I think he says, let's reason together. Let's, let's rationally, logically think through this. Because Jesus gives them logic. Blasts them with logic. He's talking to those Pharisees. He's talking to the $500 Armani suit, $350 alligator shoes, briefcase, sunglasses, seven of them. And Jesus says, I think he's going to say, come here. Yeah, hang on a second. Hang on a second. How can Satan cast out Satan? That would be like me saying, I'm going to kill myself to death. <laughs> or I'm going to take my life and I'm going to throw it away and I hope I live to see it. What? If you throw your life away, how could you live? Your life's over here. It's gone, right? So if Satan casts out Satan, how can he stand? He can't. It's logic, okay? And then he ends his logical case with all these questions, which are the answer, by the way, with verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he can steal all of his goods. And we go, yeah, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> okay, huh? Okay, um, it's really, really cool because in my opinion, this is the heart, hidden heart, of about the next three stories in Mark. It's a foreshadowing and it's really cool, okay? Until this point in the Gospels, Jesus has remained in what place? Jerusalem, which is? Israel. Israel. He's remained in Israel. He has not left Israel. He has not stepped foot in Gentile territory up to this point. Jesus has healed those who have come to him but he hasn't gone on the offensive. When Jesus defends himself against the indictment from the Jerusalem Torah scholars, I think he does so, so beautifully and so logically. 
and with great tact. He doesn't say, you sons of guns, you know, and he, yeah, blah, 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 and start yelling, screaming at him. Um, he doesn't even do the thing that he did before, which I think he was kind of ticked before. Oh, I'm sorry, have you never read the story of David? You know, that was kind of like, mm, he just says, wait a minute, can Satan cast out Satan? Let's think about this for a second, you know. We, we have traditionally identified with the strong man in Jesus' parable. Someone enters another house to steal all his good. What do they have to do? What do they have to do to me? They got to tie me up before they can steal my goods. Mm. As a matter of interest, parables, by the way, are always told in order to explain a difficult concept. That's why you tell a parable. So why does Jesus end his defense of the claims that he and Satan are in partnership with this parable? It's kind of a weird way to end your defense. What does it mean? When we break the parable down to see its meaning, I think once we plug it back into the context, you're going to see why Jesus uses it. And it is brilliant. It is so cool. All right, real quick. Here's the structure of the argument. Because I teach apologetics, right? We talk about arguments all the time. So let's talk about the structure of the argument. This is the structure of the argument from the Torah teachers from Jerusalem. Jesus claimed things that only God could prove. Like, God forgives you. Well, how do I prove that? Do you get a receipt from heaven? Boom. Oh, hey, cool. God forgave me on, uh, you know, November 6th, 7th. No, we don't get a receipt. So only God could prove that, right? How does God prove it? Miracle. Bam, that's the receipt. So Jesus has claimed things only God could substantiate. Jesus has, premise B, Jesus has performed miracles that prove his claims. Premise three, his claims are false. That's their argument structure. You claim things only God could do. You performed miracles that only God can do. So the things you claimed are false. And therefore, here's my conclusion. Miracles aren't from God. Because if your claims are false and you're doing miracles, they have to be from the father of lies. Your miracles are from Satan. Pretty good argument. Jesus' defense. Premise one, Satan can't punch himself in the face. <laughs> Satan can't defeat himself. Premise two, a house that's divided cannot stand. Premise three, if Satan's house is divided, it can't stand. Conclusion? I'm not working with Satan. I'm working with God. You've seen me cast out evil spirits. If Satan is casting out Satan, how can he stand? That's, that's ridiculous. And then Jesus ends his defense with this parable. Guys, no one can enter a strong man's house unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he can plunder his goods, but not until he binds him. Parable breakdown. The strong man's Satan. The thief is Jesus. The one doing the stealing and the plundering, that's Jesus Christ. How do I know? Hang on. What are the goods in Satan's house? Say it loud, Riley. People. Those people are the goods. What does to plunder the goods from the strong man's house mean? I got to take the people and what do I do with them? I got to, and can you steal something that's yours? Already? Yeah, he's repoing them. He doesn't steal them. 
You can't steal something that belongs to you already. You can repossess it, but you can't steal it. So he plunders Satan's house. To plunder his goods is to set the people free that Satan has captured, that Satan has bound. So what do you have to do? Before I can set the people free that Satan has under his control, what do I have to do? You got to tie Satan up. Okay, this is fundamental to understanding the next several stories. You have to bind Satan. Unless I bind Satan, I can't loose his goods. Now, Jesus says, I, sorry, Jesus comes on the scene. He's in Israel. So far, he has loosened a lot of people from a lot of things that Satan had them bound to. Give me some examples of people that Jesus has set free and how he set them free. Man with a withered hand. Guy with leprosy. Guy what? Woman with the bleeding. Um, All these people had sickness, illness, and what did Jesus do? He healed them. It means he freed them from Satan's clutches. Satan used illness, sickness, disease to keep them under bondage. And Jesus said, I'm going to bind you. And he broke the bonds of the people, but first he had to bind Satan because Satan's a strong man. And this is what I think is incredible. Jesus recognizes that Satan is strong. You don't mess with Satan. You give him respect. Don't ever bow to him, but give him respect. But he's strong. Now, where is the strong man's house? Well, let me ask you this. Where's God's house? Nope. As a Jew, where's God's house? It's only one place. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Where, where in Jerusalem? The temple. So where's God's patio and backyard? Israel, the, the land of Israel. Where is God's fence? Ah, okay, that's the land of the Gentiles. That's not God's house. That's Satan's house. So before I go into Satan's house and plunder his goods, what do I have to do? I have to tie up Satan. Where's Jesus going? Just from the parable, you know, where is Jesus heading? He's going to go to Gentile land. He's going to Gentileville. I know that because I know the parable. Because I'm looking at the parable as a Hebrew. Oh my gosh. He's going to Satan's house. Where's Satan's house? The Decapolis. What's Decapolis stand for? Deca. Greek for 10. Polis. Cities. He's going to 10 cities. Where's 10 cities? Just across the sea of Galilee. Just a ship right away. Boat right away. Cool. So guess where we're going? Let's get on the boat with him and let's go and see where it takes us. Okay. So on to Mark chapter 5.